Hey everyone, I'm going to start off this episode by sharing a little bit about what is going on in my life right now. I'm actually in the process of upgrading, or should I say replacing my gaming computer. The one that I have is about five years old, so it's not able to run a lot of the games that are coming out right now. I'm going to admit, I just spent $60 on pre-ordering a game that is releasing very soon. This game has a bit of early popularity due to the franchise it's in and some of the news regarding that. Which game am I talking about? I'm talking about The Last of Us, released for the PC, which is coming up in March. So focusing more on post-apocalyptic zombie stuff. In addition to that, I just got a subscription to Hulu to watch Handmaid's Tale, which I have not seen an episode of that yet. Both of these actions have led me to think about the type of media that I'm consuming and the type of stuff that is considered to be popular nowadays. Here we are, three years after the start of the pandemic, it's not over yet, and we are still fascinated with the post-apocalyptic and the dystopian genres. What does that say about this? In this episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, we're going to be talking about those two genres, post-apocalyptic fiction as well as dystopia fiction, what they entail, how they are still popular nowadays, number-wise, and then also philosophy-wise. What does that say about our culture in the here and now? It's time to grab your favorite beverage, sit in your favorite chair, and get ready for this episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. The Dystopian Dream Shattered, Examining Post-Apocalyptic and Dystopian Fiction's Appeal. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look, whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. And welcome back. My name is Jessica. I'm also known as the Mystic Geek. And today we're going to be talking about our relationship with the media that we engage with. When I talk about relationship, I don't see our engagement with media or our engagement with various things as consuming or consumer consuming. We are relating with it. We are connecting with it. We have various thoughts and feelings that come up from it. It involves us having conversations about it. So it's not just simply consumption. It is our connection to it, how it impacts us, and then how we, through our fandom, impact that genre. And when I say fandom, it's not just the titter chatter. It's also where we throw our dollars. With that, I wanted to focus on two genres here, one being post-apocalyptic fiction and the other being dystopic or dystopia fiction. We're going to start off by explaining terms. I really want to make sure we are on the same page 
So when I discuss things, you are coming at it from my perspective, or at least you have a better understanding of my perspective so that we can have a conversation about it if we ever get to that point. I'm going to talk about speculative fiction, dystopia, and then also the post-apocalyptic genre. After that, we're going to also talk about some statistics. When I say something is popular, what do I mean by that? So I'm going to share some of the things I found when it came to game sales, as well as viewership on shows or movies or games of this genre. And then finally, we're going to wrap this up by talking about what does it mean that we are still fascinated by these genres? What does it mean about our society, especially now that we're three years in on this pandemic? especially since we have all these world issues that are going on around us, all these fears and concerns, what does it mean that we still engage with this rather than run away because some things are starting to get a little too real? So with that, let's begin. The inherent nature of fiction when it comes to media, whether it is books, video games, movies, what have you, is fiction is make-believe. It is not reality. I think we can all agree on that bit. Speculative fiction is a subset of fiction, and the idea there is it's close enough, but not quite. What speculative fiction does is it takes things from where we're at right now, and it says, well, what could it be in the future? Speculative fiction is things when it comes to like themes or ideas or concepts or events that are not in recorded history, nor are they part of the present universe. And another aspect of it is it is futuristic. There is a subset of fiction that I would consider to be more reimagining or reconstructing, like Abe Lincoln zombie hunter or something like that. This is a bit different. This is us saying, Let's look at a couple years out, or even further than that, what could that future look like? And add in something that is a little bit different. Add in something that we can go and we can say, all right, this hits a little too close to home, but haha, there's no chance of this happening because of X, Y, and Z reason. That is what speculative fiction is about. Dystopian fiction is a subset of speculative fiction in that we're looking at potential futures, so that's part of the speculative side. But that future is grim and it's gritty. And when I say grim in this, I don't necessarily mean the gritty aesthetics, even though that can be part of it. What I'm talking about with grimness is the view when it comes to the state or the government or overarching power structures being in command of people's lives to the point where freedom is gone and we've gone through some drastic changes in these scenarios that impact us. For instance, I've talked about The Handmaid's Tale a couple moments ago, and that's one that takes a look at the role of women in society and has it where a government regime establishes what the woman's role is, whether they're a wife, whether they're a servant, whether they're a handmaid, which is essentially a surrogate. So we have that. A couple decades ago, I forgot when it was actually released, there was a movie out there called Equilibrium, starring Christian Bale, where emotions are seen as bad. And thus, society has dictated people are to take these drugs to mute their emotions. And all things that are considered artful or beautiful, because they evoke emotions, they are illegal, they are contraband. 
So it's taking a look at life in that aspect and what can happen when that system is challenged. The whole cyberpunk genre where the corporations run everything is another version of a dystopia. So then you have The Hunger Games, which is a book trilogy as well as a movie trilogy which takes a look at the use of gladiatorial games as a way for the dominant group to show power. And when I say gladiatorial games, I'm meaning that Pan Am is broken up into all of these districts, and each district is forced to give up two children, one boy and one girl, as part of this gladiatorial game that's broadcast. The state forces everyone to treat this like this big celebratory event, when in fact it's the government showing, we have so much power, we can take your children away and force you to watch as we have them kill each other. Again, we have all these different things that are out there that are what we consider to be dystopian fiction, meaning it focuses on an oppressive state, oppressive capitalist regime, what have you, controlling people's lives and framing it from the position of the oppressed and how they respond to what's going on there. And then we have what's called post-apocalyptic fiction. So that takes a look after a catastrophic event, be it disease, climate change, war, what have you. The world has changed. It is no longer the way that we've seen it or no longer the way that we're used to it in our industrialized nine to five world. But how does humanity survive? How does humanity handle that change? And it's looking at it from the perspective of the individual, the survivor. Oftentimes, post-apocalyptic bleeds into dystopian because in those cases where the world has had a drastic change, government or corporations can come in and try to fix things. And the way that they fix things is by trying to put in so much control to try and prevent what's happened in the past from happening in the future or using that control to try and encourage humanity's continued survival while giving up what we consider to be humanity, what makes us human, what makes us real living beings. Hopefully that gives you a better understanding of the terms when it comes to speculative fiction, dystopian fiction, and post-apocalyptic fiction as genres. With that, I wanna share with you a little bit more about what I found out as I was researching some of the popular shows and games that fall into these topics. The first one is The Walking Dead from AMC. This show has been around for, what was it, like 11, 13 seasons, a lot of seasons. It's been around for a bit. When we looked at some, how popular it was, back in 2015, 2016, right around its sixth season, it had about 18 million viewers for its season finale. And when we talk about viewers, a lot of these shows that have timed releases, where they don't go and put everything into streaming right away, they have timed releases. They keep track of how many viewers watch the show within the first 24 hours of its release. So that's where they came up with the 18 million viewers for its season six release. Now, we're now towards season 11, and what I found when looking it up, season 11 had about 3.1 million viewers on its season finale. That doesn't necessarily mean that the popularity of apocalyptic or zombie fiction has decreased over that time frame. It could just mean that the show isn't as well received as it was before. When you start getting into TV shows or franchises that have longer and longer seasons or that have been drawn out season-wise, sometimes people get really tired with the writers or the plot gets grading. 
or it's hard to get into it because there's so much lore that's been established, so that's out there. However, when we look at the most recent show that's out there, The Last of Us, this is an HBO adaptation of a video game. It's in season one. We're five episodes in. We have viewership stats up to the fourth episode. Uh, episode one, which aired a couple weeks ago, was at 4.7 million viewers. So 4.7 million people watched this within the first day after it was released by HBO on its streaming platforms. Then the second episode, the following week, was 5.7 million. A million more viewers watched it. Episode three had 6.4 million viewers who watched it within the first day. And episode four, which aired the same day as the Grammys, had 7.5 million viewers. So it's been increasing by almost a million every episode. It's going to be nine episodes total, so I'm curious as to what the final viewership is for its season finale. It's already one of the more popular shows on HBO at the time of this recording. So this show, The Last of Us, is based on a video game that was released in 2013, so about 10 years ago. And when it was released in 2013, that video game had 1.3 million units sold. So games sold in its first week. It was at 3.4 million within three weeks. So it was fairly popular at that point in time. The part two version, which came out on the various consoles in 2020, June 19, 2020 is when it came out. And if you remember, a lot of the lockdown for the pandemic happened in March. This is three months into the pandemic getting real. From what I found out there, they had 4 million units released that weekend. So when we look at The Last of Us, the first game in this, that was at 3.4 million in three weeks. The Last of Us 2 was at 4 million copies sold in 2020 in the first weekend. And it ended up being the sixth highest sales in video games in the United States in 2020. So that is a lot. That is a freaking lot for a game that involves post-apocalyptic to be sold in the United States amidst the pandemic. I think Call of Duty was the top sales in the Animal Crossing. This was coming up against that. I would say it still is pretty impressive. Amidst all this, in between Last of Us 1 and Last of Us 2, we also had Death Stranding, which is another post-apocalyptic game where humanity is very spread out. And there's Sam Bridges, who's literally trying to build bridges or connections with other people. That game launched in November of 2019, had various other releases based on platforms. Over the two years post-release, so July of 2021, it was at 5 million copies sold. And then we're looking at in 2022, it was at 10 million copies sold. And we're having it where this is building up popularity wise. And I mentioned Handmaid's Tale earlier. It's one of Hulu's more popular franchises, series, what have you. It's a bit harder to get into the analytics when it comes to streaming for when it comes to streaming for this series because this is one of those that all of the episodes got dropped. So when you have that, you really don't have viewership in the same way because there's not a way to track how many people watch a specific episode 
right after it's released because people will binge watch it or they'll wait to binge watch it till a little bit later. They go based on viewership hours or viewership minutes. And I don't want to get into the weeds on that because now you're just having to look at viewership over time compared to other things. It gets a little messy. However, it, this is one of their more popular shows. It's one of various rewards. So all this is saying around here is for a niche, dystopic fiction and post-apocalyptic fiction is pretty solid when it comes to its fan base. So we've covered what these terms are, speculative fiction, dystopia, and post-apocalyptic. We also talked about the popularity of these niche genres with video games, with books, and with TV shows. Now we're going to talk about the whys, especially in this day and age. I'm of the camp that believes that we as humans are hardwired for negativity. And the reason I say that is our predecessors, our ancestors, did not have the luxuries that we have, that we take for granted when it comes to things like food, shelter, security. So they had to deal with predators. They had to deal with starvation. They had to deal with potential conflict with other tribes or other groups. So they always had to be on guard. If they had anything good happen, it was probably temporary. There was strife and issues that they were having to deal with. We have not escaped that. So even though in some areas of the world, like for instance, the United States where I'm at, we have it very good compared to others, we're still hardwired to have those negative thoughts as part of our means of protecting ourselves. What dystopic fiction and post-apocalyptic fiction does is it gives our brains a space and a setting for those thoughts to ruminate in. Secondly, we're also wired to compare ourselves to other people, to see how are we doing compared to others. And with that, when we see someone else having it worse than us, yes, we can have an empathetic response, but we're also comparing our situation to theirs. And in doing so, realizing that our situation is not that bad. And that's where these genres of fantasy can have appeal because we can look at what we are dealing with and come to the realization we're not having it as bad as those people in that imaginary world. So again, it's a way for us to escape our hardships by comparing our hardships with some fantasy hardships that are out there. Another aspect of this, and I feel that this really deals with American exceptionalism and some of our puritanical beliefs, and that is the belief that greatness needs to have suffering in order for greatness to exist. Or what I should say is that Greatness can be born of suffering. It takes hardship. It takes strife in order for us to really see who we are and for us to be tested and to grow. And why I say this thought is based in American exceptionalism is it harkens to the American dream that if you go through, you do your best, you put your work in, good things will happen to you. You'll have a family in every house, white picket fence the chicken in every pot, a car in every driveway, that sort of American dream, but it would require people to go through hardship and sacrifice to get that. And in this day and age, the American dream is dead. It is not 
around, at least not in the way that the people who invented this whole concept believe it is. There's the haves and there's the have-nots. There's the people who are doing well and the people who aren't. The people who are getting the great stuff without having to go through work. There's the people who are hustling it and pushing it and getting those things that they want. And then there's the people who have all this bad stuff happen to them. They have nothing good to show for it. This whole greatness from suffering, it oversimplifies things. And we like simple things. We like things that are straightforward. So by removing the complexity of the real world, that's another way that it brings the appeal. And then another reason for our attention to it is it gives us an idea of what might be without necessarily having that stuff happen. So unfortunately, when we're looking at dystopic fiction, especially in the United States, it's hitting a little too close to home. I mean, when we look at cyberpunk, where the companies run everything, and then we take a look at the monopolies of companies that are out there right now, it's a little too close to home. I'm not going to get into the numbers or conjecture. That could be another episode entirely, or I can bring a guest on to talk about that. But if some of these companies went down or they pulled away their resources, we would be in a lurch. What would the United States be like without the internet? What would the world be like without the internet? Or what would the world be like if we had a nuclear apocalypse or things like that? Our brain starts to wonder, well, what would life be like in those cases? One thing that I would like to point out in all of this when we're looking at dystopia, we're looking at post-apocalyptic fiction, these settings, these genres impact us when we're used to a nine to five world, where we're used to having it where food, shelter, security, those are things that we often take for granted. These types of settings place characters in a fictional world where these things aren't guaranteed and that brings some fascination there. What I find fascinating is oftentimes when we look at things from the point of view of the individual, the core character, they see it as corrupt. They see things as pretty grim. I'm guessing if we were to flip things and look at it from the perspective of those in power, they're thinking that they're doing this for the greater good of humanity. For instance, if we were to look at The Last of Us, the series that I mentioned in the beginning, I'm guessing that the people who are on top aren't looking at the power that they're wielding and getting gratification from it. I'm guessing that from their perspective, they are making some hard decisions for the greater good. And they feel that the only way that they can guarantee humanity's survival is by having this authoritarian regime that will kill people for the smallest infractions because they have to keep everyone in line for survival. And that's a pretty dark way of looking at humanity and it's a pretty tough thing to look at there. I'm going to riff on this one. I think that part of the reason why we're seeing this rise of popularity or this continued popularity in post-apocalyptic and dystopian fiction is because of current events that are going on right now. Especially when we take a look at the pandemic, which started, it's not done, it started in March of 2020 is when it really built into public awareness. At that point in time, we were trying to figure out how to deal with what is essentially apocalypse scenario, a pandemic that 
killed millions of people, I would say is a valid apocalypse scenario. And we examined how the world responded to it. A lot of those cases, the government came in and shut everything down, shut everything except for essential services, restricted travel, those sorts of things. And what I find fascinating in all of this is that those who are anti-authoritarian or those who rally for the individual in these fictional settings, in the post-apocalyptic dystopian fiction settings, I would say they would tend to be a little bit more on the liberal end of the spectrum there. At the same time, these are also the groups of people that when the pandemic started to really take hold on the world, they were pro-authoritarian in that case. So we're looking at saying yes to lockdowns, no to unnecessary travel, or no to non-essential things that are out there. Masking, requiring people to take on a shared behavior that they may or may not have been comfortable with. So it's interesting to see the interplay between what we're okay with in a real life scenario versus what we're not okay with in a fictional scenario. Now you can argue, well, people were asking for masking or, or demanding lockdowns or people to not go to Home Depot during the middle of the pandemic while at the same time saying we need to have access to food and whatnot. A lot of these times when we have these dystopic fictions or these post-apocalyptic fictions, we're looking at it from when things have established themselves versus those initial moments. And I'm wondering what those initial moments would have been like in those stories, right when everything was happening or everything was transitioning and seeing those small steps that led to those final bits. So with that, I think that that is really the crux of why these genres are so popular now and they're staying popular is because we are at a point where we could potentially be seeing those initial moments before we hit a full dystopia, before we hit a full apocalypse. And we want to take cues from that, from fiction, in order to understand what is it that we're doing now that could lead to that? And how can we prevent us from hitting that trajectory? So I hope that this all made sense for me going through and just doing the stream of thought rambling on these ideas here. It was either that or talk about that other video game that's come out and the spiritual implications of people's beliefs around that. But I decided not to go that route. I decided let's just focus more on zombies versus a wizarding video game that just recently come out. Anyways, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this one. Here's how you can get a hold of me if you want feedback. It's always appreciated here. You can always ask questions or provide feedback by email at justatthemysticgeek.com. Otherwise, you can also reach out to me at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek to share your feedback by voice in case you want to do it that way instead of by email. So what is coming up over the next few weeks? This coming Sunday, which is February 19th, is episode number 10. Woohoo, we're hitting that milestone. And for that, we're going to be bringing on Kathleen Donnelly Israel to talk about her pilgrimage that she took on the Camino Santiago. So we'll be sharing what the heck the Camino Santiago is, 
and her experience with that pilgrimage in that upcoming episode. The following week, which is Sunday, February 26th, episode 11, we're going to bring on Mark Wendt to talk about spiritual evolution on that one. He and I had an amazing conversation that was about spiritual evolution, politics, mishmashing of various things. So I think you'll find a lot of wisdom and some fun in that as well. We are wrapping up episode 9 of Spiritual AF Sundays. If you're a dystopia or zombie fan like me, hope that you have fun watching the most recent episodes of The Last of Us or whatever shows or games that you play. So with that, have a great week and hope that your time is Spiritual AF. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by the Mystic Geek, that's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual seekers find our show. So do the thing.